On this edition of the Deseret News Ute Insiders podcast, we talk about just about every sport under the earth, football, basketball, baseball, gymnastics, you name it. We have baseball coach Bill Kinneberg joining us on our Utah by Five segment. This and more on the Deseret News Ute Insiders podcast. Hi, this is Dan Sorensen from UteZone.com and UteZone Radio, and you're listening to the Deseret News Ute Insiders Podcast. Hey, welcome to yet another edition of the Deseret News Ute Insiders Podcast. Dirk Facer with Trent Wood and Mike Sorensen, uh, here to talk a little Utes. How are you doing today, guys? Doing well. Still living. Still, Hey, that's all that counts. Hey, let's jump right into basketball, guys. Uh, the Utes had a tough week, obviously, uh, after beating Arizona, following it up with a loss to Arizona State. Uh, Mike, you were there. What do you think happened? Were they reading their press clippings, or is Arizona State just that good? I think it's just a matter of that's just Utah basketball team this year. Like I put in my story today, they're just not consistent. They don't know what consistency is. They just don't know how to put really two games together sometimes, or even two halves, or even two minutes. It's just the way they play, and they just have to kind of overcome that. Larry talked about it a lot after the game, and he really doesn't know. And Parker Van Dyke didn't know. They just he, Larry did say he's not using the young team as an excuse anymore. He said they should know better by now. But they right. just have to have to just uh, put uh, two halves or two games together and and get better. What do you think, Trent? Is this just a roller coaster team? High one week and down the next. Yeah, I mean it's kind of like a, a streaky shooter where one game they'll go off and they'll be great and everybody loves them, and the next game they'll miss every shot they take. That's what it seems like Utah basketball is. But one game they're great and one one game they can't do anything mike uh i like to tease everyone that parker van dyke and i uh, went to the same high school east high leopards uh, so did my well, wife so that's okay we'll, same graduating uh, class right? right yeah well i'm not going to talk about that <laughs> <laughs> that was a good line though <laughs> uh but mike what's with parker van dyke i mean obviously uh hitting the big shot against ucla he came out and hit first five three-pointers against Arizona. He's been scoring a lot of points. Is this the real Parker Van Dyke, or is he just in the quote-unquote zone right now? Uh, that's a great question. I think he uh, for I think for, he was kind of afraid to shoot You know, for most of his career. You know, I think he finally decided, hey, I'm a senior. My career's about over. I might as well just start taking these shots because the players every week, they talk about how Parker, they saw he makes every shot in practice, and you know, and he just hasn't. Uh, and he needs, he's the kind of guy who needs to get open. You know, I was kind of shocked to, the other day. He only had four foul shots all year. You know, he doesn't try to drive the basket very much. He just takes a spot up three. So um, then he had four since then. But anyway, he uh, I think he just kind of deciding, hey, I'm just going to take shots, and I'm not going to worry about you know passing as much as I used to. And I'm just going to if the shots there, I'm going to take it. Right, Grant. Do you have any thoughts on that? Obviously, uh, when a guy's feeling it, uh, they shoot a lot, and if he makes it, keep shooting, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody can complain about what Park. Van Dyke's doing right now. Pretty sure he's the the most beloved Utah basketball player in a few years. And it doesn't hurt that he's an East High Leopard, in my opinion. That's a good thing. How about Jace Johnson? There's another guy that stepped up his game as of late, although the Arizona State game probably wasn't the best example of that, Mike. But he's put together a lot of double-doubles and uh, is obviously the best rebounder on the team. Yeah, I think he. Uh, I think Larry put it the other night after the Arizona game that he's kind of slowed down finally. You know, he always looks like a guy who's just kind of he's going too fast and he he loses the ball, bounces off his hands, and even on rebounds sometimes that happens. He's just like going a mile a minute, and he just uh, so I think he's kind of the game slowed down for him, and he's kind of uh, gotten into a better groove that way. He still misses a lot of layups, but he's getting better, and his rebounding's been terrific. He's averaged almost ten during the Pac-12 uh, season, and um, so he's been a lot better lately than he, he was earlier in the year. 
And he's also healthy. Apparently, he was. He's been. Right. He has been. Uh, you know, he had that problem earlier with his leg, and I think they said he's truly healthy for the first time, maybe in his uh, two or three years. And it's the headband making a big difference. It must be. It? Yeah, I guess that's the factor. That works. Hey, um, Brad Rock wrote a column uh, recently uh, talking about uh, Larry Kristoviak and uh, whether he's overachieved, underachieved. Um, Trent, how do you see it? He's been on the job eight years now. It's been a while since he's been to the NCAA tournament, but obviously he's uh, got a team that's competitive in the Pac-12 every year. Yeah, it's an interesting debate, and I think it all stems for most people from how much money he's paid. I think that's the real problem. If he wasn't paid like a top 20 coach in the country, I don't think people would be as upset about maybe the perceived lack of success but because he's paid as much as he is it seems like he hasn't achieved as much as he should have you know i've talked to some people uh, in the athletic department that and uh, one of them made a good point mike he said uh, you know isn't it funny how we begrudge somebody for making the best deal they can i mean uh, i know when you negotiated with the deseret news uh, out of college you had this handsome salary and a lot of people were jealous uh, can you begrudge a guy for getting the best deal he can is it larry kristoviak's fault that he makes so much money no not really i mean i i think we all feel that way sometimes that, you know, the movie stars and athletes and all these people, they get way too much money compared to everybody else. And um, I think I think Trent's right. That's one of the things people, you know, kind of begrudge the guy that he ha- makes so much money. And But the thing is, I don't know if, if Utah basketball is ever going to be what it was, at, you know, 20 years ago. should be better, but I don't think you can necessarily blame Kristoviak. I think the Utah, uh, everybody, you know, he's a good guy and we, we all like Kristoviak. And, you know, I think... Uh, Maybe I don't think it's time to fire him right now just because he hasn't been in the NCAA for two or three years. But, you know, you got to keep your eye on it. You know, he can't stay forever if he just has these seasons that are just kind of uh, mediocre. Trent, do you think it's an indictment more of the Pac-12 than it is Utah basketball that more teams don't get in? I mean, who would have thought there'd be a day when you could finish in the top two, three in the Pac-12 and not go to the NCAA tournament? But that's the reality now. It is, and I mean, you could say that for sure. And that's one of the reasons people might be able to argue that he hasn't been as good as the expectation because the Pac-12 seems to be so watered down and so not the quality conference that it used to be that you'd think that even an average coach could do it, but it's just not the way that conference works. No, it's tough, and you know, and it's really interesting this year, obviously, because uh, Arizona dominated the league for so many years. Yeah. And now it's Washington, and Mike, the Utes uh, got a big game Wednesday up in Seattle. Yeah, that's going to be a tough one for them. You know, I was just, uh, you know, looking at their schedule coming up, and they fought. They could have been in great shape if they'd have won that game on uh, Saturday. They would have been all alone in second and pretty much assured themselves of a top-four finish. Now they're back in a tie for third. So um, they've got to they've got to win, I think, three more games to, to get into that top four, and that means they got to win a road game. It's probably not going to happen Wednesday night, but uh, certainly Saturday night's a good possibility against Washington State, who although is a lot better than they were. Next week they got Colorado. That's another possibility, but if they don't win at least one, one more road game, they're not going to make the top four, which they really want to do in order to get into the, uh, you know, get that first round by and not have to have a, you know, long, longer road if they do make it into the semis or the finals. So, you know, it's a tough game against Washington. I wouldn't expect them to win that. Although Utah's, you know, don't know what to, they kind of win when they shouldn't and lose when they should, you know. So it's just kind of like, you know, you got to figure out what's, what's uh, going to happen that day. And then Washington State's uh, another team that's come on strong. So you'd think they could win that game, but uh, they got to win one of these next uh, three for sure, I think, and hope they win the two home games to, to finish the season. And then they can finish at 11 and 7 and probably make the top four. Yeah, that's been something they've been able to do in recent years is get into that top four. I agree with you. They need to get another road win. It's interesting that just, you know, not too long ago, Washington State and Colorado looked like a couple of road wins they could easily get, and now that's changed a little bit. And, you know, you see how tightly bunched the standings are. I mean, they could 
finish anywhere literally from second to ninth at this point. That's you? right. Yeah, I was thinking that same thing. And, you know, I, I do this. I always look at the standings. You know, you look at it, the road wins minus the home losses. And uh, uh, Utah's plus one, and there's five other teams that are plus one, too. So it's like it's almost like a five-way tie for, uh, uh, you know, third place right now, or for second place, actually, because, you know, Washington's plus six. So I got Oregon State, Arizona State, Stanford, and Colorado and Utah are all plus one, which means if everybody wins their home games, there'll be a five-way tie for second. So somebody's got to win a road game or else it's going to be a, kind of a mess afterwards. And if Utah wins two, they might tie and get a get in somehow in the top four, but they really got to win three more games. You know, interestingly enough, Utah picked up their first ever Pac-12 road win in Seattle against Washington seven and you years were there, ago. right? I was there. <laughs> and uh, it's one of my favorite places to go as a beloved uh, – my beloved Mariners and Seahawks reside up there, but uh, should be a good road trip. And then, like you said, that test in Colorado the next week, uh, you know, not going to be easy. And then, you know, even those that home game against USC, because USC has a lot of talent, and uh, you know, that'll be a good. And matchup. UCLA, they're both about the same. You know, they're both good teams, and the fact they beat them before doesn't mean they will. But especially home games, because Utah has a better road record than a better <laughs> right. home record, so you can't guarantee those games either. But they really, when it comes down to it, they got to they've got to just win three more games. Parker Van Dyke, we get ready to hit some of those buzzer beaters. They could use them. Uh, guys, let's jump, uh, switch gears to football now and talk about signing day, and kind of a postmortem. Um, Trent, what do you think about the class? I mean, I think it was pretty good. That is, granted, that's what everybody says after every uh, signing day is that people got the recruits they wanted and they got the class that they wanted. But it seemed like Utah filled most of their needs and they got good players at each of those positions. They didn't have a ton of players to replace, but it right. seems like they got good players to replace the ones they lost. You know, and that, Mike, they were, I noticed, I think it was ESPN or one of those uh, services had Utah with the ninth best class in the Pac-12. Um, I've never been a fan of how these, how they rate, you know, that, because I think Trent made a good point. Utah went after needs this year, and it was small class, small senior class, didn't have a lot of openings. But I thought they did a good job filling their needs. What do you think of them being ranked, say, the ninth best recruiting class? Does that mean anything? I don't think so at all, you know. And I think Utah can all, always hang their hat on the fact that they, uh, they seem to develop players maybe better than the other teams, you know. I mean, they seem to get players, and if they're in a certain level, then um, what you should look at is how many guys come out, you know, after they're seniors, how how many make the pros and how many go to the combine. And Utah seems to be in the top two or three in the conference in that. I think they have six coming out this year, six or seven. Yep. And so, um, and you know, so it's kind of like, you know, when they come in, you, you can't really judge players totally, but how they develop in the program and how they play when they're in the program and when they leave, that's kind of a more of a, a test where you might want to rank them. And Utah, I think, is definitely in the top half of the conference in that regard. Right. And that, you know, it's a bottom line business, as Kyle Whittingham likes to say. Um, you know, looking at recruiting class, Olasini, they got a six foot seven, 330-pound offensive tackle from Garden City Community College. They went after a lot of offensive linemen because that was a need they, they had. They did. And, um, you know, the guy I really am interested in is Jordan Wilmore, the, uh, the running back, originally committed to USC switch to Utah. I think anytime you can get a USC guy to come to Utah, that's a positive. He's not a real big guy, but uh, highly touted. Yeah, he was a four-star, and I believed he was leaning towards ASU, too. So not only did they pull him away from USC, they got a little bit of revenge against ASU for ASU flipping some Utah guys. And, uh, you know, another need, obviously, is receiver. Um, they got Dante Benton from uh, Deerfield Beach, Florida, athletic guy. Um, they really just need the guys that are in there now, Mike, to step up, don't they, in the passing game? Yeah, they do. And, uh, you know, 
like we're talking about running backs, my biggest worry is not it shouldn't be a worry for Utah, but they have so many. They got five or six good guys in there. Yeah, they do. And so they and you really Utah uses a one back system, so you just hope a guy like Wilmore doesn't if he gets third or fourth string next year and says, Oh, I'm just gonna take off and go somewhere else because, you know, playing behind Zach Moss and Armand Shine and some other guys, you know, it might be discouraging to some of these guys. So that's that's one of the pitfalls of having a, a strong position like that. But yeah, re, talk about the receiver core. I mean, they all, they always need more receivers, and that was kind of one of the problems they had last year was catching the ball. So hopefully they can in, improve in that regard this year. You know, maybe a big underrated thing, Trent, is a punter. You know, losing Mitch Wisnowski, uh, they went down under and got another one. They did, and they seem to just have that pipeline perfectly set up where they can go and snag another Australian punter. And, you know, the uh, history has proven that he'll probably be great. Yeah, Ben Lennon, I think is his name. And yeah. he's uh, a little bit older than your traditional player. And but so, so was Mitch Wisnowski. He was right. he was older as well. And uh, we'll move on to that. Now, the other thing, maybe with this recruiting class, it doesn't maybe count on some of the websites, but they, uh, they got a couple of good transfers, obviously, with Manny Bowen and... Uh, Cameron Rising and Cameron Rising, the quarterback from Texas, you know, have to sit out a year for transfer roles. I think that was a huge pickup, especially in the wake of losing Jack Tuttle. But Manny Bowen's a guy that, you know, experienced guy from Penn State, linebacker. He's, he's going to step right in and play. Yeah, I think he was he's a massive get for them because now linebacker went from possibly being a weakness, losing Chase Hansen and Cody Barton, to I don't think anybody looks at that linebacker core and says that's a weakness on Utah's defense. Mike, what do you think of those two transfers? That, that's as big as any recruits you can get. Plus, they're kind of proven commodities. You know, Cameron Rising didn't play a lot at Texas. You know, obviously he didn't, uh, never took the field, but, uh, you know, moved up the depth chart and practices and such. But uh, that was a good get for him. Yeah, it really is. And especially with, um, they're going to have to, with Tyler Huntley being gone, you know, they're that's going to be more wide open for uh, the quarterback position the next year. And, and definitely linebacker, they got to fill a, a couple of big holes there. So if this guy is as good as they say, he should move in right in and, and play right away. Yeah, that's the thing about this time of year when we're talking about football recruits, transfers, now everybody's a superstar, right? Yeah, and uh, every single one. And you know what? Spring football is not really going to seal the deal either because uh, we're going to write a bunch of stories about guys that maybe don't see the field in the fall, Mike. Right, it's, and then August, you know, yeah, everybody's great in August, so you got to wait until the season starts and you'll really find out. It's getting there. Um, let's jump uh, – Another sport. Let's go to the Red Rocks. Tell us what's going on with them, Trent. Yeah, the uh, the Red Rocks have been they've been really really busy the past week. They've had a they're having three meets in nine days, which they've never done in the history of the program before, and it's all to get them ready for postseason because the format changed for the postseason, and there's more meets in consecutive days than ever before. So this past weekend they had a, a quad meet, and they went up against LSU and Missouri and Stanford, and they finished second. LSU was just a little bit better than them on balance beam, unfortunately. And then on Monday they had a meet against Stanford. They went to California to have that meet. And then this weekend, they'll host UCLA at home. So they've been pretty busy, pretty uh, pretty tired probably. How do you think they're going to weather this? Injuries have played a big role for them the last few years as far as national championship contention and that. Are they prepared for all these meets in a short period of time? And obviously staying healthy is key. So the coaches have said all year they've been changing their lineup. In the past, they usually get set on the gymnasts they like and they leave them in the lineup and they don't switch them out. But this year, they've been switching out gymnasts a ton and they said that this weekend and this this stretch they were going to rotate gymnasts a lot as well so I think mostly they're doing well and the health concerns that they have they're getting better Michaela Skinner's healthy again and so she competed in the all-around at a, against LSU so they seem to be getting healthier and they have more gymnasts than they've had in the past. Do you feel like this is uh, the right approach to prepare them for nationals I know you said that's the reason they're doing in that but as an observer do you think this will be beneficial or is it going to be a wait and see thing? I think it's a wait and see thing I think it it on paper 
paper, it seems like a good idea to get them used to doing so much gymnastics in a shorter period of time. But, I mean, obviously it will only matter if they have success come the end of the year. Talking about success at the end of the year, Mike, uh, women's basketball, we got off to a great start this year, and they've fallen a little bit on hard times. Uh, what do you think's going on? Is it just the fact that Pac-12 so good, or are they getting tired because they are a little shorthanded? Yeah, they really are shorthanded. They've they've basically been a, an eight man team, eight women team for the last month, and so it just caught up to them. I think it's not too surprising. We kind of figured that might happen. They went unbeaten in non conference play, and we said they got a tough road to hoe with the Pac twelve coming up. And they started off great. They beat Stanford. You know, they won several games, and now they've lost six straight. I mean, it's just the bottom's fallen out for the women, and they're you know they looked like a lock for the NCAA's, and now I think they they uh, they're going to have a hard time unless they win you know three or four more games to make the NCAA's. NCAA's, you know, and they and they lost a heartbreaker, another one against. They've lost two to U, ASU now uh, by two points. And this last one, they lost. I think it was an 18 point lead. They lost. I mean, this right. was the other one was the last second shot, and this was just a total collapse, I guess. So that's just a shame for them that they uh, and they just can't. They just need to get over that hump of, of this losing streak. They just can't get over it. They got a couple home games this week, but uh, it's been a tough row for them. Mike, you covered college basketball for a long time and observed things. What's a roller coaster ride like when the lady or the Utah women are on. Is that something that's going to be uh, tough to overcome now since these heartbreaking losses, blowing big leads, losing streak, uh, not exactly playing their best ball when when they need to to secure a uh, NCAA berth? Yeah, it's just a matter of, it's just one of these cases when you get on these losing streaks, it's just like nothing goes right for you. You Once you break that, they might be fine if they can win the game coming this Friday, uh, and then all of a sudden, okay, now we can win, and then maybe they'll get another four-game winning streak or something. That's the key, but it's just like, it just kind of keeps compounding itself each time you lose and you just kind of they start losing their confidence i think that's what happened to them and then just being shorthanded they they lost two of their top players you know that's their second leading scorer and it's just been hard now to they just don't have that much depth to uh, compete in the pac-12 and it's hurt them so i think uh i think they can still get back and they still might you know make a little bit of a run in the tournament which is coming up in a couple more weeks but uh it's it's been a tough time and it's been sad to see do you think the uh, Pac-12 can get six or seven teams in the NCAA tournament? Oh, sure, yeah, easily. That's it's it's you know it's got to be if not the best, one of the two or three best in the whole country, and that's and therefore and they've had six teams ranked much of the year. So if Utah it can get in that top six or seven. At, by the end of the year, if they still are, they should have a chance to make it. Mike, your college football or college basketball expert, what about the men's side? Are they going to get more? Than... I don't think they're going to get into that large. If you're not saying you're asking, <laughs> not Utah necessarily, but do you think the league can get two? I think they might get. I think they should. You know, it just depends. ASU's the logical one because they have some good non-conference wins, right. and they seem to be doing well. If they can finish second and and win a couple games in the Pac-12 tournament, Washington should get in regardless. And then you know, the league's so balanced this year, it's possible that a team, you know, Utah or someone else, possibly could surprise and go all the way and, and win the whole thing, and then they get for sure get another one in. So, but uh, so I think two at the most. <laughs> and you do see a scenario maybe where three, if an outside team. From those other that would be hard. Washington uh, yeah. or ASU wins the tournament. Yeah, you know, that if a third team might knock out ASU if that's the case, you know, because it's pretty. Everybody has at least I think ten losses, and so it's going to be tough to get a third team in unless ASU finishes real strong, Washington finishes strong, and then a Colorado or Utah or someone like that comes in and wins the tournament out of nowhere. But uh, it's going to probably be two teams and at the most, and maybe one if things don't go right. I know it's early, but do you think that second team will end up in Dayton, Ohio? And very the likely that seemed, you, the Pac-12s had a lot of teams in that uh, play in game lately, you know, so I think that's a, if they're just going to be on the very edge, there's, that's where the last four teams go, so very well that could very well happen. 
All right, guys, we've talked about a lot of sports today. Uh, let's switch gears one more time. Let's talk baseball. Uh, joining us on our Utah by Five segment this week is uh, Coach Bill Kinneberg. Uh, they had their annual fundraiser earlier this month, brought Dusty Baker in, and uh, I spoke to the coach about uh, bringing guys in to help uh, raise some funds and awareness for Utah baseball. We'll play that for you right now. I'm Tom Barberi, and it's time for Utah by Five, where we catch up with the people who built the program we love. Okay, we're joined on our Utah by Five segment by Utah baseball coach Bill Kinneberg. Bill, thanks for joining us. Nice to be with you, Dirk. Thanks. Bill, every year you bring some major, former major leaguers in and uh, friends to, for your evening uh, as a fundraiser. Can you just talk about how that started and then how many years you've been doing that? Well, this was our this last year was our fifteenth year, and it started um, in two thousand four when uh, the Red Sox won the, the World Series. And I think, as you know, Terry Francona is one of my best friends. And, and I was speaking with him the next morning after they had won it. And, you know, one of the last things he said is, hey, if I can do anything for you, let me know. And so I came to the office, started thinking about it, and thought that that was the perfect opportunity to maybe have a banquet with him being a keynote speaker and maybe raising a little money. And But my main emphasis or my main thought on that was to create awareness that we did have a baseball team here and uh, try try to generate interest uh, uh, you know within the city and so that was the first one Terry came in did a great job and but the next year Cal Ripken came in right and, and you know Cal was spectacular and that kind of just got the ball rolling and and uh, we've been really fortunate to have you know eight or nine Hall of Fame guys that have come in and uh, you know coaches that have just won World Series and and great players and so it, it's been a lot of fun it's been a lot of work but it's been a lot of fun as uh, you know doing this and 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 creating awareness for our team and and I think in, in 2004 we probably needed that a little bit you know it's, it's changed you know some but it's still you know I still get uh, hey who's coming next year and, and right you know I, I can't wait for next year's deal. So it's been very good, very valuable for our, for our program, and um, it's been fun to have some of those guys come here. Well, I, I agree with you there. You know, I, every year I kind of look forward to seeing who you bring in, and I like to go there and get the opportunity to meet some of these guys. And uh, I think the community, uh, it's pretty special when the Cal Ripken Jr.'s in town and, and guys like that. And uh, I've been a lot of fun for you, you know, having Dusty, Dusty Baker this year and that. Do you, uh, You've been around this game a long time, but it's still fun to, to maybe meet some oh. of these these guys well, you, get to know them better absolutely a lot of them were my childhood you know uh heroes and and had posters of them up in my room as as i was growing up uh, brooks robinson um you know cal was a, was playing when you know when during my when i when i was playing and, and watching him so there's a lot of there was there's a lot of guys that um, that have been, you know, heroes of mine that have come. So it, it, that's been really fun to, to meet those guys. But the, the one thing that's been really interesting is how nice these people are. You know, right. you think of them as stars and, and celebrities and whatever you want to, but they're really down-to-earth guys and, and good baseball guys. And, and you know, I, I'll never forget sitting down at dinner with Cal and just talking about baseball. Right. Know, youth baseball all the way up to professional baseball. And it was, it, it's really fun for me and then you know Dusty I, I didn't know Dusty very well until this weekend and you know you kind of feel like he's a friend now right and, and so uh, it, it's it's really 
it's been it's been a lot of fun for me to do this as well and meet these guys and bring them in and share our university, our city, and and uh, our fan base with them. Oh, and it, it was kind of fun when you guys won the Pac-12 championship. I had a chance to talk to Terry Francona and said that he, you know they would go and get on the computer after their games mm-hmm. to see how the Utes were doing in that. I mean, you really have some strong friendships in this game, don't well, you? Terry and I were teammates at, in, in uh, at the University of Arizona, and, and we did develop a strong friendship. You know, he's my god, uh, my oldest son's god, god uh, father. You know, I was his best man in his wedding, so we go back a long way. And and so we talk, you know, most twice or three times a week. You know, during our seasons, and I try not to bug him too much, particularly in August. He's a little tired and grumpy at that point, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it, 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 you know, Terry's a special guy, and, and uh, I think if you asked anybody who played for him and, and coached with him, you know, he's 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 different. He's a special guy and, and uh, treats people with uh, unbelievable respect and, and gets the most out of his players. That's why he's still doing it. Well, Bill, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. All right, that was good to hear from Bill. Uh, Utah baseball getting their season going this month. Um, that's always a fun thing. Uh, I had a chance to meet a lot of players I looked up to, Cal Ripken Jr. They've had a lot of guys roll through town over the years, and uh, appreciate Bill spending a few minutes with us. Uh, just a reminder, you can get this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever fine podcasts are found. We encourage you to go to DeseretNews.com to read the latest. In fact, we'd like you to subscribe to the papers. They're called Deseret News, and uh, Take the paper at home like the good old days. We're doing great stuff. Guys, thanks for joining us. Good to be here. It's been fun. Mike, Till next time, yeah. Till next time. Uh, we'll see you later.